Welcome to the NAFSA International Educator Podcast, the official voice of International Educator Magazine, brought to you by NAFSA, Association for International Educators. Over the past year, international students and scholars in the United States have leveraged their expertise on the front lines of the battle against COVID-19. As doctors and researchers, they've been critical in the country's fight against the pandemic through their life-saving work. International Educator spoke with two international medical doctors who are former international students. They have been involved in everything from direct patient care to research on disparities in health outcomes. Here they share their experiences working through a global pandemic and the defining moments of this professional challenge. Dr. Daniel Wang is a former international student from Canada who recently graduated from medical school at Cornell University. He was scheduled to begin his medical residency at the Ronald Reagan UCLA Medical Center just a few months after the pandemic began in March 2020. When New York shut down back in March or April of last year, so I came over here to LA early, and then in May or so, I reached out to the CARDS department here, cardiology department here, because uh, that's my overall interest um, and plan in the, in the near future. And I reached out to them and I said, hey, you know, I'm really interested in disparities research. That's something I've been working on ever since med school, um, specifically looking at Asian Americans, Pacific Islanders, because a lot of the research out there in any field um, usually don't include these populations. Um, uh, most of the research out there, um, the buckets, if we are talking about racial ethnic buckets, tends to be um, white, black, or other. Um, and so there's a dearth of research out there in terms of, like, we just don't know what happens to these folks. Wang wanted to look at these disparities and the reasons behind them from a COVID lens. I, uh, I reached out and we, we, we made an editorial um, that was published in the journal General Internal Medicine um, just looking at Asian Americans, um, touching base on some of the risk factors that they face and some of the social factors that that they encounter, especially early on in the pandemic when there was a lot of uh, anti-Asian sentiment, uh, and then touching base on some of the overall disparities that the, this population faces um, outside of the pandemic. So things like, um, you know, the fact that uh, more Asian Americans than other despair than other groups will report that their physicians don't understand their background. Um, the fact that South Asians are at extraordinarily high risk for cardiovascular uh, disease mortality and morbidity. Um, the fact that uh, you know seventy percent of uh, you know fifty seven percent sorry of Cambodian American women can't access healthcare because they don't have interpreters, right? Um, so. Um, you know, Vietnamese Americans are more likely than white Americans to be uninsured. You know, all of these factors are going to be exacerbated by the COVID pandemic. And so we, we, we came up with this editorial that we, that we put out and um, it, it was more to, to, to raise awareness of the fact that there's a, there's a lot of suffering out there. There's a lot of poor access out there that may or may not be addressed by the, um, by the public and by, by the government. Wang also began working on a trial that examines how a certain anti-inflammatory medication could be used in the fight against COVID. UCLA has a ton of trials uh, related to COVID, and one of them uh, is called the Colheart trial, which is looking at colchicine. Uh, it's an anti-inflammatory medication that we use often in pericarditis or, um, or gout, for example, and uh, looking to see if there's any protective mechanisms uh, in relation to inflammation or surrounding the heart. And, and so we, we, that, that trial is still in the works. It's, we're still recruiting folks. Um, so we, and we are just randomizing folks to colchicine or, um, or, or um, 
standard medical therapy. And then we, we want to see what happens in terms of cardio, myocardial protection, um, cardiac damage, cardiac um, outcomes, and overall outcomes as well, mortality, uh, ICU stay, etc. One of Wang's overarching research goals is to represent the nuances between different groups of Asian Americans. He wants the medical profession to recognize that Asian Americans are not a monolith from a healthcare standpoint. In every paper I write about Asian Americans, that I address the fact that we have this massive problem in medicine where we aggregate folks that are in- intrinsically very different. Um, just because uh, they're Asian Americans, um, <laughs> meaning that their culture or whatnot uh, is related to Asia, <laughs> doesn't mean that they are in any way experiencing the same disparities. So we, and within Asian Americans, we know there's a huge amount of variation. So Vietnamese Americans are much more likely than Chinese and Koreans to be uninsured. Um, Hmong Americans are extraordinarily um, sort of underrepresented uh, and face much more s- sort of steep obstacles in their access to care than Japanese, Korean, Chinese Americans. Um, and Filipino Americans are the ones with the highest rates of hypertension, diabetes, uh, metabolic disease. And that in itself then puts them at very high risk for COVID. Um, Filipino Americans, especially here in California, um, make up a huge number of the nursing workforce. Um, They are very, very highly represented in healthcare, which also means they're at high risk for exposure to COVID. In his COVID-related work and in general, Wang also aims to highlight existing disparities and dig into why those particular disparities exist. I think... Overall, all of my research focuses on disparities, um, and with the exception of, for example, coal heart, where we're looking very specific, we're not really targeting disparities, we're just looking at outcomes. Um, So there's another one I'm involved with, uh, that's just in the early stages, Uh, we are collaborating with Northwestern on an American Heart Association COVID registry, we're looking using the registry to look at outcomes for Asian Americans. Um, as well as uh, Hispanic Americans. We're looking at outcomes in terms of death and morbidity and again, access to healthcare. There was some early data that suggested that maybe Asian Americans presented to hospitals a little bit later than other folks um, and especially the elderly. And maybe that is something that we need to look into is that cultural factors, access factors, and then uh, elderly Asian Americans are you know, so far preliminarily seem to have the largest death rate out of all the little buckets that we break patients into. And so I think it, as a whole, my goal is to, again, highlight disparities that we know exist, but that are now exacerbated, worsened by COVID. Um, and perhaps, you know, this could be the linchpin to, for some ongoing efforts to then address it. Because before they were in the background. There were some folks that were interested in it. A lot of folks were not. Um, a lot of folks were not aware that they were there. And so the goal is now to, again, bring it to light and say, hey, this is not a COVID-specific thing, but this is something that's ongoing. It's just worsened. And now we're talking about it, which is great, but there needs to be a lot of ongoing efforts, social efforts, community efforts, you know, public health efforts um, to address these for long-term health, right? Um, addressing chronic conditions like hypertension, diabetes, which are which make them more likely to get COVID, get worse COVID, but um, are just leading to poor health overall. Since last June, not only has Wang been involved in several research projects, he's also been working 60 to 70 hours a week in the hospital seeing patients. He's treated COVID patients throughout rotations in the neonatal intensive care unit, the medical intensive care unit, and the VA. Here's what he says about the COVID surges in Los Angeles. In the huge surge, uh, the way our hospital was set up is that if we are in the ICU, we see COVID patients. Um, If we are 
Uh, if there are COVID patients who are asymptomatic and have other issues, they come to our resident team because uh, the whole point for us as residents is that we are exposed to a variety of pathologies. And during the COVID surge, you know, it's not educational for us to keep seeing COVID because there's really not that much different from patient to patient. And so um, UCLA started making direct care hospitalist teams where it's just one attending um, and they take all the COVID patients. But we, in the MICU, will see COVID patients, you know, like any other doctor. Um, and in the ED, in the emergency department, we'll see COVID patients um, in, on the floor. If they're asymptomatic, we'll see them. Um, or if they need minimal oxygen, we'll see them um, because, and they're here for something else. Um, and so, we, I mean, we were getting a ton of emissions just day in, day out. It was, it was kind of nuts. Despite the long hours and the cumulative effect of working as a doctor on the front lines during the pandemic, Wang finds ways to keep going. He says he's primarily driven by his patients. You know, no matter how tired I am or how, you know, what, what else is going on in the world, I think when I see my patients, when I'm able to say, like, I'm here for you, no matter what's, what you're facing, is if it's cancer, if it's a big surgery, if it's, you know, you have this awful complicated hist- um, plan ahead of you, because that's usually what happens with our folks at Reagan. Um, they're all incredibly sick, a lot of transplant folks um, at high risk for complications and whatnot. Um, I think being there at the bedside with them and being able to say, look, I'm here with you. I'm here to support you. I'm your doctor. You know, you have a great team behind you. Um, and we're going to get through this together. And having that relationship with my patients is, you know, it makes it all worth it. I think I, I, I go to work and <laughs> I think that's really, that's really the best part, being able to, to talk with them and, and then see them through, you know, whatever, whatever the end might be. And, uh, and also knowing that just I'm working with a great team. And I think the, the camaraderie here at UCLA is fantastic. Um, and the overall mission of the department is fantastic. And finally, Wang reflects on the past year of being a resident during COVID. For us as interns, we, we always hear that, wow, uh, like we can't, we, we, uh, the, the, the senior residents or the attendees, they say, we're, we're really sorry that you're going through this uh, during COVID. But for us, you know, it's, we, we don't know any different uh, because this is our only um, intern year experience, this is our only residency experience. And so I think, it's, it's been fantastic uh, because it is, I'm learning exactly what I hope to learn in residency. I'm getting exactly what I want out of it. And, and I think it's really shown us the, uh, the bright side of humanity in a lot of ways. So we've seen a lot of people step up. There's been a lot of bravery, a lot of sacrifice, you know, people really stepped up and, and, and really showed how much they, they care uh, during very, very difficult times. And there's been some extraordinary things done with, by the doctors, by the nurses and the other staff at various hospitals across the country. I think we'll look back in the future, sort of the way a lot of doctors look back at the AIDS epidemic back in the 80s and the 90s and say, wow, you know, we were seeing so much death and suffering, but it really changed how I perceived medicine. It really changed how I perceived disease. And I think right now we are still so fresh in that period that we don't it's, that's too early to reflect. We are seeing some reflection, but I think the, the greatest reflection will come in five to 10 years when we are then, you know, us interns and residents are then in attendings. And then we say, wow, you know, let me tell you a story of when I was a resident. And, uh, you know, we were seeing these extraordinarily uh, terrible things happen to patients. Um, and we see these disparities. You know, when I was at the community hospitals, when we rotate at community hospitals, we see what happens when there's a lack of resources, right? Um, and even there are community hospitals that we rotate at us and, and, the, and the, the difference in care between them and what we do at UCLA Ronald Reagan is very stark. Uh, just 
and it's not anyone's fault. It's just the fact that those hospitals don't have enough staff. They don't have enough uh, money. They don't have enough resources. Um, and it's, and it's very sobering. Um, so I think five to 10 years, we're going to look back and say, wow, learn a lot. Dr. Anna Costa Monteiro has been in the United States for 20 years. She came to the U.S. from Brazil while still in high school and stayed in the country for her entire education. She earned a joint PhD-MD from Emory University before starting a pulmonary and critical care fellowship at UCLA. Costa Monteiro was on maternity leave when COVID hit in March 2020. More on that in a few minutes. Her research is concentrated on acute respiratory disease, also known as ARDS. ARDS occurs when inflammation makes it difficult for the lungs to absorb oxygen, and it's one of the reasons why so many people die from COVID. That specialty prepared her well to jump into the fight against COVID when she returned to work last April. I'm currently um, finishing up pulmonary and critical care fellowship at UCLA, and um, I, I finished like June 30th. I'm currently doing research on things that affect outcomes in ARDS, and ARDS is um, the big thing that kills people in COVID. Um, so, you know, like when, when people die of COVID, it's because they've developed ARDS. So it's lots of different diseases causes it, but COVID is one of them. So I've been, um, doing a little bit, not a little bit of work. This is what my main research focus is now. And I've also done a small cohort study on our COVID patients, our first hundred COVID patients at UCLA and, and outcome and um, uh, risk factors for intubation. So we found that, you know, smoking and obesity led to higher risk of intubation for admitted patients, things like that. So I definitely have been very much involved in the research side of COVID. Um, and before COVID started, I was already working on ARDS, which is very relevant to COVID. And um, due to the nature of my profession, I mean, we've been taking care, like, you know, January was, our ICU was, I don't know, 95. 90%, 85% um, COVID patients who are intubated and very sick. Um, so we've been, for this past year, it's been, you know, treating a lot of COVID patients as well. And, and obviously the sickest ones. So um, definitely have been very much involved with all of that. In the last year, her time has been split between working in the hospital and doing research. Due to the pandemic's effect on healthcare workers, Costa Montiero has been spending more time seeing patients. The way that my fellowship works is that the first year is 100% clinical, and then the second and third year, they're about um, 25% clinical and 75% research. Now, what during that research time, um, you have a certain amount of weeks that you're backup. So if as long as you're not called in, you get to do your research and um, every week you still go to clinic half a, half half a day a week. So it's not, you know, really 75% research. And um, while I was on research and on backup, I had been pulled um, a couple of times to do, especially this past January and February. Um, uh, one time it was actually because the person who was supposed to be on had been so burned out from being on service for so long that um, they could no longer, they could no longer do it. And I had to go in and, and you know, me and my and another colleague, we we split the week for this person because they just couldn't do it anymore. And that's really, I mean, that's a story that happens over and over again. I think um, it's been, a, I mean, so in terms of how much clinical time I had. In addition to the stress of working at a hospital during COVID-19, Costa Montiero was also a new mother. 
And so much was unknown about how the virus spread at the beginning of the pandemic. She returned to work just a few weeks after Los Angeles had its first major wave of COVID cases. I had my child in January of 2020. I got out of uh, maternity leave in um, March and was um, called to start at All of You, which is one of the county hospitals in L.A., and that was in the beginning of everything. So, you know, I was um, things like you're pumping at work and you don't know how this thing spreads and you don't know if you're going to end up like with COVID in your milk. So, you know, like even little things like that, the anxiety of having to like wipe every surface um, every time you go pump. And then of course I'm, I'm, I'm the ICU fellow. So I'm the go-to person if something happens. And then of course, going into a patient's room, I felt like there was enough PPE for me. So that was never an issue, but it's still like you put your papper on and you put everything and you're like, Oh my God, like when I get home, like, what do I do with my scrubs? <laughs> All this stuff. So yeah, in the beginning, it was very stressful in that sense and that your own, your own safety and, and the safety of your family and your newborn child and all of that. Um, and of course, it was also very sad in the sense that especially when I was at county, the outcomes, the outcomes aren't, aren't good for, for a lot of our minority population. And it, it was a ma- majority Latin American population, which is, you know, where I'm from. And so I think I saw a lot of the suffering of the families and everything like that really um, resonated with me um, and, and everything that was going on. So that was, that was the beginning. The major surge in cases across the United States, specifically in the Los Angeles area, highlighted the trauma many physicians and others working on the front lines have experienced. More recently during this latest surge, I was on ICU nights for, uh, for most of January and a little in February. I think that the people who were on in December and the beginning of January when the surge like hit had it harder because we were kind of caught off guard again. I mean, we, we knew what was going on. We knew how to treat COVID and all that at that point, but we didn't realize how, what the volume was actually going to be like. So we, we had to scramble a little bit. And by the time that I started on nights, we had already come up with the idea that we needed a second fellow at night as well. Like it was just not enough to, for one person or, you know, one person plus the resident. So I already had um, more support, thankfully. And that, that was sure luck um, by the time that I started. But, you know, I think as a group of um, critical care physicians that have gone through this, we've have, we do have a lot of trauma. We see, we talk about all the people that we saw saying goodbye to their families over Zoom. And um, so many times I had to fight with administration about, you know, the visitation policy um, just because I, I wanted my patients to have, you know, a semblance of, of, of a good death and, you know, things like that. And um, it wasn't just that the, there, there was so much high mortality and high volume. It's just how, people were saying goodbye to each other. All of that was really, really tough. And it, it still is. It's, you know, we're still, we're still not quite over it. And, and the, the trauma that's involved with that and the burnout that's involved with that. It's, it's definitely not easy. With her extended family in Brazil, Costa Monteiro talks about the challenges of leaving her home country, especially during a global crisis. And my whole family is still there. Um, my, my parents had recently, as I mentioned, my dad 
was working for the WHO and he was moving around, but right before the pandemic hit, they retired and moved, got their dream retirement home in Rio, you know, and they were, um, and of course I was involved. I was living in, and then was from the top two countries that were hardest hit by COVID in the world. So, so yeah, that was really hard. And I wasn't, um, for the longest time, I, I wasn't sure when I was going to see my family again. And I still, I, I mean, I still haven't gone to Brazil, but um, I, I can tell a little bit more about, I actually ended up, my parents ended up coming here after quarantining all over the place. And, um, you know, and now they're vaccinated, which makes a huge difference. But um, for the longest time, I I didn't know what was going to happen with my, my parents, my now almost a hundred year old grandmother, she's 99. Um, and obviously, and I have a lot of aunts and uncles and things like that. So yeah, like all of that was very hard. And um, thankfully my parents had come to the birth of my son and they had seen him, but then ever since then they were planning to come back in April to see, actually, no, I was going to go to Brazil in April and have him meet the rest of the family. And then obviously that all was derailed. And so um, we just did a lot of FaceTime and Zoom. And um, there's definitely a guilt of living your, leaving your home country, um, especially if you leave your family behind. And so now that guilt was compounded by, well, now I have their grandchild on a different country. And now they don't have access the grandchild because there's this global pandemic that has isolated everyone so um yeah it was hard <laughs> it was very hard given where she is in her career and the historic aspect of working as a doctor during a global pandemic costa montiero expects the last year to be a defining one she also hopes it will be a catalyst for the public and the government to take preventative health care more seriously i think this is going to define um me for like career-wise for the rest of my career the same way that you know like when people talk about Fauci they still talk about how he was you know doing research at the HIV when the HIV pandemic hit and you have all these ID doctors that they're like oh yeah he was one of the people who was like in the front lines when like the during the HIV pandemic I think that's going to be my generation of doctors where it's going to be like those are those were the people who were who were in the front lines during the COVID pandemic and I think that's going to define a lot of what we do and how we do it. And um, we're all going to be very comfortable treating ARDS. It's been a very hard year and um, we're going to probably take a little while to recover. I think the biggest thing is that I hope that people place more value in preventative public health and then just healthcare in general. Because I think in the past, just even politically, like talking about healthcare and where the, 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 the tax dollars go. I think it was really an afterthought. And I think this pandemic has really, I hope, taught people that this is not something that you can just brush off. This is Charlotte West for NAFSA's International Educator Podcast. Thank you for joining us for this edition of NAFSA International Educator Podcast. Please visit nafsa.org to read more from International Educator Magazine and to join us as a member of NAFSA. Together we can make a better world.